Good morning, 909. Steve Scafidi with you on WTMJ on this warm but foggy morning. Very foggy out there. Careful if you're on the roads. U.S. Senate race heats up, of course. The right to go up against Senator Tammy Baldwin. We have uh, two great candidates, Kevin Nicholson and State Senator Leah Vukmir, who joins us on the phone. Good morning, Senator. Happy New Year, Steve. Good morning to you. Yeah, that's right. I haven't talked to you since the New Year started. Happy New Year to you as well. Got to ask you about this Steve Bannon thing. I know it's part of the political process that you meet with, uh, you know, big figures in the Republican Party or, or Democrat if you're Democrat. Walk me through that process because you actually met with Steve Bannon. You sought out his endorsement. And at some point, he didn't give it to you, and now you're saying you're calling on your opponent to renounce that endorsement. Well, yeah, that's right, Steve. You know, you go to Washington to meet with a variety of people, and you're trying to get input. You're trying to get endorsements. It's a very common process as you're running for a federal office. At the time, um, have, had I known what I know now about Steve Bannon, I would not have gone to meet with him. But, and certainly if I had received his endorsement, uh, there is no way that I would have uh, continued to stay close to him. I would have disavowed that endorsement and that support. And that's simply all that I've asked my primary opponent to do. When you go around the state, and I, and I follow you on social media, you are everywhere in a, at a, a, all kinds of events, large and small. What are the voters telling you, other than the Tammy Baldwin thing, what's the big issue on their minds? Well, you're absolutely right, and I should give you the update. I have uh, already gone to about 52 out of our 72 counties, and most of them I've been to more than once. I have put on 38,000 miles on my car since last <laughs> February when I was just testing the waters. We have a great estate, Steve, and it really is enjoyable on the campaign trail to reach out and talk to people in every corner of the state. and. And the issues that matter to people, clearly people are concerned that the agenda that was promised in the November 2016 election be accomplished. And that's why there was a lot of frustration when the repeal and replace of Obamacare did not happen. We've made, taken one step now with the tax bill where um, the uh, individual mandate has been removed. But people want that problem to be solved. And the other issue that I hear a lot about is uh, tax reform. So people are now very happy that a bill has been passed. And contrary to what the hashtag fake news says, people are excited about what they will see uh, and the differences and the improvement that they will see and the prosperity that they will be able to hang on to uh, because of the tax reform bill. And then the other issue that is uh, uh talked about quite a bit is immigration reform. People I was going to ask you about that because there's, there was a lot of conversation yesterday. The president met with both Democrats and Republicans trying to figure out DACA, trying to figure out what this border wall eventually will look like. Give me some. Give me your thoughts on immigration going forward. Is there a compromise? Shouldn't there be a compromise? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I've been very consistent in supporting uh, the president's position, and what I hear everywhere I travel in the state is that people do want border security to take place. Now, what is it going to look like? You know, the left wants to malign the president and those that support him by saying we're trying to build this big, ugly wall like the Great Wall of China. Um, we know that that isn't necessarily the case, that there are porous areas that can be addressed through a variety of security perimeters. So I do support the president in that. I believe that is the number one issue that the first part of immigration reform that must be tackled. 
beyond that, I don't support blanket amnesty. I've never done that. You know, I, I tell the story often on the campaign trail. I'm the daughter of Greek immigrants, and I spent um, a good chunk of my childhood as aunts and uncles were coming over, sitting around the kitchen table and helping them study for their naturalization and their citizenship test. And I watched them go through a process because they wanted so desperately to be Americans, and they went through a legal process. And it wasn't an easy process, and it took time. And it's very frustrating to those individuals who have gone through that legal process to see people just walk across the border and receive the benefits of being an American citizen without having gone through the process that they have gone through. State Senator Leah Bookmer, thanks as always for joining me. Thanks, Steve. Have a great day. Eleven eighteen, Steve's Fitty with you on a Wednesday in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Happy to be here as always. I'm here every morning, Monday through Friday, eight thirty five to noon, right here on WTMJ. Up to almost forty degrees, fifty tomorrow. I might have to get my new, brand-new driver, my ping driver, out and hit some balls tomorrow. Looking forward to that. I was, I was talking to Vinny Vetrano the other day, and I, I said, hey, I'm, I'm getting anxious. To, and he goes, it's January. I'm ready. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. If, if the weather permits, let's do it. All right, there ought to be a lot of your chance to be king, queen, mayor, president. Uh, lots of good texts, lots of good calls. Let's go to John in Fort Atkinson. You're on WTMJ. Hey, I feel your pain about not being able to find the address. I travel to four or five people's homes every day, and it uh, used to be really difficult, but the GPS has helped quite a bit. It does, but it, it doesn't always pinpoint, and I, I think it's something we need to pay attention to, the fact that I think there's a legal requirement that that it, an address be posted on, on residences and businesses, and I think for a lot of people, they've kind of forgotten about that. Yeah, well, you're never going to get people to comply. And if you start issuing citations for something like that, there will be a, a big firestorm. A revolution? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I found in the rural areas, I don't know if the county or the town paid for it, but they went around and they put a steel post on everybody's lawn, a set uh, standard setback distance from the center of the road, and it's got a metal plate, like a license plate, that's stamped out and painted, with a house number for that house. And that's made it really easy for the rural areas. Yeah, I agree. And thanks for the call, John. I think it's something, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you build a home in a community, I believe they hand you as part of the inspection process, at least they used to do this, the old-style address plates with the numerals mounted. And I think that was for even in the construction phase of that. And maybe that's gone by the wayside. I'm not sure. But it's something I think we need to get back to because people are taking liberties. In some communities, I, I saw in a text, they actually spray paint the address on the curb in front of the residence. So it makes it easier, for uh, certainly for law enforcement and public safety. Uh, here's one off uh, the WTMJ Facebook page, uh, News Radio 620. You cannot pass anyone with a mile of an exit ramp if you're getting off. So many people pass right in front of me and go straight off onto the ramp. Yeah, I mean, that. The, the whole thing about merging on freeways is, is something. There are laws about it. I think the enforcement part is the, is the issue. Uh, let's go to Steve in Delfield. You're on WTMJ. Yes, good morning. Morning. Um, what do you think? I don't know if you've been on Blue Monroe lately by Brookfield Squarehead and West. Yes. Like mm-hmm. But I'm just tired of um, the city of Brookfield not painting their white lines. I don't know how many times people... Don't know what lane they're in out of the four lanes, three, four lanes that's on Blue Mountain Road there, but 
it's terrible at night, especially when it's raining or snow. You can't see a line. You know, no one knows where they are. You know, I, I, I'm glad Steve brought that up because I've noticed driving around town, whether we're, you know, we're going to a store, a restaurant, whatever, communities are not doing a good job repainting the lines. And it, when, you, when it gets to be nighttime and if there's a little bit of pre- precipitation, it's hard to see where the lines are. And I'm sure some of it has to do with budget cuts and all the other things related to running, running a community. But, boy, that, that is dangerous. And when you, when you talk, talk about the impact on safety, public safety, drivers, you're not making it any easier for them to kind of stay within their lane. Here's one from the uh, Economic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can weigh in as well. There ought to be a law, 414-799-1620. Uh, from the 414, I'm an Uber Lyft driver. You should try finding homes at night with the poor address markings. I, I believe it. Uh, I think there's a real issue with that. That's why I brought it up. Uh, here's another one from the 414. Um, let's see. I think there should be a law. There should be a camera system on the interstate to show the problems with people merging and exiting. You know, in a, in a lot of ways, there are cameras on the interstate because right in the studio, we watch a monitor as well. I think he's talking about enforcement of someone, uh, someone in law enforcement looking at those monitors. I don't know if you can actually do that, but everybody that's driving needs to do a better job with that. Lots of great texts and lots of phone calls. So a couple texts real quick on the, the subject of driverless technologies. Ford, Ford Motor Company's jumping in the fray. They're, they're all in. They say it's not just about the, the cars. It's also about the environment they're going to drive in. Uh, here's one from Kyle and Tulsa. My biggest concern is programming ethics into the way the car makes life-threatening or life-saving decisions without the driver's input. Example, a driverless car is a choice to swerve from hitting a child, but to do so would have to hit someone else. That's a good question. I'm sure they've debated that. Uh, Clint makes a great point. If aircraft manufacturers can design 100-ton jets to land by themselves, essentially, autopilot, maybe they can. we can figure it out with the vehicles on the road. That's a great hmm. point. Yeah. You think about that technology, how fragile a plane is in the, in the terms of the environment, flying, what, four or 500 miles an hour or faster through the sky, and they can figure out a way to do it? Are driverless cars that complicated? Let's go to Dennis in McGuanago. You're on WTMJ. Yeah. I want to know, uh, can blind people get these cars and be able to go where they want them? That's a great question, Dennis. And I, I think it's it, it raises the question beyond that, who will it expand people that can drive, whether it's the elderly, whether it's the disabled, who have, for whatever reason, or in this case the blind, can't drive anymore. Or we're never able to drive. Does it expand options for those folks? We talk a lot about uh, inclusiveness. Does driverless technology open that whole thing up where somebody could step out of their house or apartment or whatever, step into this vehicle that would take them from their house to the grocery store where they would have nothing to do with the driving of that vehicle? And, boy, if you're looking at it from the, from the all-access elements of helping people that are challenged... Sounds like a good idea and a good good plan. Michael from Brookfield, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I guess you can repeal all the drunk driving laws then in that situation, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about it, and that you know that's another great question. I, I love our listeners. If you're if you're drunk, and would it be allowed? And again, this is really hypothetical because we're not even to driverless cars yet. Could you get in a vehicle that you're not controlling if you were under the influence, essentially as a passenger? You know, one of the things that's going to happen as we sort all this out is there's going to be all these questions. 
that how how humans interact with the technology. If you if you're going to ask me today, how long will it be till we kind of get there? I would say in and I could be right as wrong as anybody else. In 15 to 20 years, we will see driverless cars on the road everywhere. City streets, freeways, you name it. If you're going to talk about an environment where like most of the uh you know, the long trip truck drivers, uh trucks are driverless, might be a little longer than that, could be less, I don't know. And then devoting lanes, as we've seen with this proposal from Foxconn and the state of Wisconsin to and the DOT to, for the first time in our country's history, carve out a driverless lane potentially, which in a lot of ways would, would irritate other drivers. Maybe that's how this goes. So let's say 50 years from now, 2068, I'm going to ask you this, this question, Eric. What does driving look like on our interstates in 50 years? 50? 50 years. I don't believe we'll be driving anymore. At all. I think we'll be taking some type of automated vehicle. Everybody. Yeah. What about those folks who just want to drive a car? I think you'll still be able to actually operate a vehicle, but not in the same sense that we do now, where we drive to and from work. It'll be very minority report like. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. I, there's, Precog. All the the vehicles are already communicating with each other. Many of them already do this. Uh, clearly, the automakers are on board with this. Go to UW Madison. They have some of this already. They have a huge facility where they're researching this very thing and working on all the parameters that you were discussing. We are very close to this becoming a thing where it yeah it. Within the next five years, you'll likely see some type of limo or tram driving a group of people to and from oh, something. Oh, that I believe. Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably the, the earliest thing we'll see in this technology. Here's what, here's what I think is going to cause some people to say, hold on a second. Our speed limits, let's, let's, uh, what is it, 65, 70 miles an hour, depending on where you're at. Nobody drives 65 or 70 miles an hour. Would this technology say... Or dictate that you have to be going 65 or 70 miles an hour? Because you know what happens, right? The speed limit, add 10 or 5 for some people. So is there a button you can push, increase? Override, override. <laughs> that's, the, that's the challenge yeah, because people are independent. But you won't need that because you can sit and work on your phone. You can sit and do whatever you want online. You can be connected. You won't be worried about your speed as much. I really don't think you will be.